0: It's well been said that a man is known by what he weeps over. And thus, Jeremiah would remind us that we should weep and mourn over our sins. And He would tell us in Lamentations that there should be some lamenting going on among the people of God because of our sin. I think it can equally be said of man that he can be known... By what he prays for. Our supplications before God, when no one else is listening, reveal what is important to us, what our motives are, and what is our devotion, or where our devotions lie. So the first part of Daniel 9 is a prayer by Daniel for the nation of Israel. The Holy Spirit saw fit to place this remarkable prayer in the Word of God. Aren't you thankful? It is one of the greatest passages in the Bible on prayer. This is a believer's heart that is poured out to God. Now notice how I said that. This is a believer's heart. Someone who knew the Lord, walked with the Lord. This is what his prayer life looked like. Daniel 9 is going to contain the third vision. Some of you are probably glad that I'm not going to talk about another vision this morning because we've done two of those. Some of you have said to me, I understood it perfectly. And some of you are saying, I'm just totally confused. Well, again, remember what Daniel said numerous times. I heard, but I didn't quite understand. And he was trembling and he was losing sleep over it. So I hope you haven't lost any sleep over it. Uh, Some of you jokingly, uh, one individual told me that I was actually in his dream recently. And I was the sheriff in the dream. (laughs) So people are now having apocalyptic dreams. And of course, uh, it is... uh, But this is going to be the most difficult vision that we will look at together uh, beginning uh, in verse 20 uh, that will take place. But isn't it interesting... That the most debated and controversial of all the visions. uh, God puts Daniel to praying before he gives it to him. And after the conclusion of this classic prayer. Which by the way is going to become. Is preceded. uh, This prayer is going to precede a couple of incredible prayers by Ezra. In chapter 9 and Nehemiah 9. And both of these would no doubt draw their prayer from Daniel. But. And the fact that there's this huge interpretive grid that we face at the end of chapter 9, it would be a travesty if we just bumped over this prayer and said, hey, let's just zoom through the prayer and get to the heart of it. Let's talk about uh, the 77s or uh, 490 years. And let's see what the preacher believes about that or let's find out what it is. But the deal is, folks, we need to hear what this prayer has to say. The content is biblically rich. Do you find that prayer is one of the most difficult disciplines for you to maintain? Now look, I can't talk to you if you're going to sit there super smug and spiritual. (laughs) Because I know if you say, no, I don't have any problem with this discipline, you lie. Because you do. The enemy would have it that you not communicate with the Father. I mean, prayer is that incredible discipline. And it's difficult at times to maintain I don't know about your heart, but mine often gets lazy. It gets lazy when it comes to prayer. Better yet, my heart actually gets self-sufficient at times. So does yours. We don't go to the Lord as we should. Uh, again, I'm reading a book, and David's reading it. Uh, the secret hour, uh, uh, how does it go? Secret life of prayer. David McIntyre, and boy, just the first couple of pages just ooh, stuck me because we don't often seek a quiet hour, a quiet place. And we don't often have a quiet heart before God. We should. We should. It's that important. Now, Daniel 9 has served as a catalyst for my own prayer life. And I hope that it will serve as a catalyst for your own life as you look at this content. I hope it will set your course as one to be a disciplined Christian. That it will be a catalyst for you. We have a deficiency in our walk with God if we are not praying. It's quiet in here today. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon once entitled, Hypocrites, subtitle Deficient in the Discipline of Prayer. I would say to you that if the Word of God, well, I would say first that if you're not praying, you're not in the Word. But when you are in the Word, the Word of God will prompt you in your prayer life. Uh, that's going to become evident in this particular prayer itself. So, we're going to look at several principles. Some of you are just awestruck that there are actually seven points in your outline. But you know what I'm going to do today for you? I'm just going to give you one of them. Because I want to say other things about your prayer life flowing out of a vibrant faith and close walk with God. But... Just to give you a brief outline, in 1 through 3, you're going to have the setting of the prayer. This prompts Daniel to confess the sins of the people. And he also puts himself in corporate solidarity. Even though the people have sinned, more so than Daniel could ever imagine, Daniel puts himself in corporate solidarity as a sinner. So in 11 through 14, Daniel will acknowledge the punishment that the people have received, that it's severe but the punishment is just from God and well-deserved. In 15 through 19, he's going to plead for compassion and mercy from the God of heaven. That's a good prayer, isn't it? It is. And after the prayer, God is going to answer. And he answers with the vision of the 77. So let's focus on this. Let's, let's just read the first three verses today. Daniel chapter 9, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashaurus, by descent, a mead, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer, and please for mercy, fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Again, the first thing I want you to think about in praying is that prayer flows out of a vibrant faith and a close walk with God. Now, I believe that Daniel wrote Psalm 119. I do. And it reflects a man of God, and if you read it, Psalm 119 is absolutely saturated with the Word of God. And it was the saturation of the Word that compelled him into a vibrant prayer life. Just take a cursory reading through Psalm 119 and see what I mean. So, just about every verse in Psalm 119 is addressed to God in the form of a prayer. It was the Word of God that prompted Daniel to pray. Just like in this text, he's reading the books... Folks, it's a good thing to read the Bible. He's reading the books. And he learns from Jeremiah the prophet. We could say a lot about the authoritative nature of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture. Daniel believed that Jeremiah was the Word of God. So he's pouring over the Word, and he sees in it that this is going to be 70 years of captivity. And it's coming toward an end. And when we get to the book of Daniel, (laughs) we see a man who loves the Lord and prays. Just think about it when Daniel was a young man. He was a young man given to prayer. When he's an old man, he's in his 80s here, and here's an old man still given to prayer. Do you remember back in chapter 2 when Daniel gets that word from Arioch, the king's guard, and the wise men that they're going to be killed? Y'all remember that? Daniel's in that number. Uh, himself, And what does Daniel do in chapter 2? He goes directly to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And he says, let's pray. Let's seek the Lord God of mercy. And we know that he's borrowing that from Solomon in 1 in Kings. He, Daniel knows the Word. He's saturated in the Word. And so as a young man, he had a vibrant walk with God that led to a vibrant prayer life. And as an old man, think about this, he's still a man of prayer. Folks, don't assume that you're going to be what you are now when you're old. Don't assume that what you are as a young person, you will inevitably be that as an older person. Don't think that for a moment. Not everyone that starts off well finishes well. And there's a call of God upon all of us, young, middle-aged, older, uh, to look at the life of Daniel. Think about this. As an old man, he knew the legislation from the king. Well, you know, Darius, he was kind of hoodwinked in deciding that thing. But the fact of the matter is, Daniel, knowing the edict that you're going to be thrown into a den of lions if you pray, Daniel, as was his custom, opened his windows toward heaven and he prayed three times a day. As an old man, he did this. Went to his chamber three times a day. This was what we would call God-ordained civil obedience. It's better to obey God than man. So Daniel was obeying the Lord, and Daniel was in his old age, uh, serving and praying. And he was in his young age doing the same thing. He was a man of prayer. Notice verse three, that after giving his attention to the scriptures, he turns to the Lord in prayer. He seeks the Lord in prayer and supplications. Now, folks, there are certainly prayers, or let me say it this way: there we or there are prayers that are prayer less. There are prayers that are hollow. There's very little engaging and seeking the face of God. Now, we like to seek the hand of God if we think that's going to mean He's going to give us things out, right? But prayer for the sake of prayer is, meanly, is, is hollow. Spurgeon said something one time that's always stuck me. He said, when we gather as a church, one Uh, Only maybe one out of a hundred prayers are not prayed to the gallery. What does that mean? Well, we think about the people who are hearing it more than the God we're praying to. Man, what a conviction. So, for Daniel, prayer was actually seeking the Lord and laying hold to our God. That was Daniel's prayer. Sinclair Ferguson rightly says, Prayer is an expression of what we know of God and ourselves. Prayer is an expression of what we know of our God. And again, that's going to be the second point. This thing was chock full of content about the character of God. It's impossible to pray accurately without knowing God. And you can't know God unless you know the Word. Are you all getting this? It's prompted by the Word. So what we are on our knees before God and God alone is all that we are. That is the truth. In the place before God, there's no pretense. There's no pretending. There's no facade. What you are as a sinner, and you are that, before the face of a holy God, is all that you really are and nothing more. So prayer for Daniel was that expression. You see it quickly, don't you? Sackcloth and ashes. We'll unpack some of that later. But did you know that it's impossible for us to see our condition before God apart from regeneration? I hear a couple of rumblings of amen. I hope, I hope you understand that, folks, it's impossible for you, to know, for you to know the God of eternity and what He offers in salvation and what your condition is before God apart from regeneration. It's impossible. So I want to say to you today, with all the sincerity that I possibly can, When you consider prayer flowing out of a life of vibrant faith and a close walk with God, you don't have that if you haven't been saved. You don't have that if you haven't been made alive in Christ. And I'm a firm believer that Baptist churches are chock full of people who think they're in right relationship with God. However, when it comes to praying or a vibrant walk with God, it's absent. That cannot happen if you've truly been regenerated. If you've truly been made alive in Christ, then you will have a walk with God and a vibrant faith. Does that make sense to you? And that's why I wanted to take this morning and and have you just to flip over to a couple of passages of Scripture. I don't think I'm doing you right as a gospel preacher if I don't tell you that vibrant faith is impossible without redemption. Right? Right? A walk with God is impossible. can't walk with the Lord God if He hasn't birthed you into His kingdom. Does that make sense? I hope it does. The classic text on regeneration is found in John chapter 3. If you have a copy of the Word of God, I want our church to see this. I want you to think about vibrant faith in your prayer life. And listen, walk with God. That's, that's what Daniel's life looked like. I tell you, it looked like that because he was truly a child of God. Thus, we, we must be as well. Regeneration. That's not a word we hear in Baptist life a lot. You know why? Because preachers don't preach the gospel anymore. Uh, we don't know the seriousness of sackcloth and ashes. It doesn't dawn on us in America that your sin has ravaged you. And it has distorted your will and your choice and your decisions. We don't don't think about the seriousness of sin like you're going to see in Daniel's prayer. Oh my, that that the church of God today could could get back to understanding the seriousness of sin. The reason you have to be made alive and regenerated is because you're dead in sins. You're dead in trespasses and sin. So... Regeneration, folks, is a sovereign work of God, wherein He works with the Word and the Spirit of God in order to give life to dead sinners. That's glorious, right? The Word, coupled with the Spirit of God, gives life. Just listen to this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? This dude knew his Old Testament frontward and backwards. He knew it 100%. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him. In other words, he had all the facts. He had the Scripture. He had intellectual assent. But he didn't have Jesus. Understand? Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. You know, folks, you can even believe that and still be lost. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. We grant Nicodemus that. Oh, Nick got that right, right? Now listen. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again. Okay, the construction. Born, ganao. That means renovation and cleansing. Something has to take place in the heart uh, David said it, the eyes of our heart, the eyes of your understanding are open. Ganao, made alive, born. Unless you are born, the text says, again, and that is the word anothan, Ganao, birth, made alive. Something's made new out of nothing, right? And anothan is from above. What does that emphasize? It means, it means the power of which one person is made alive. The preachers today would make you think that you can make yourself alive. Let's be honest. All across the United States of America, that's the message we're hearing. Just pull yourself up. Just, just love your neighbor and love God. Folks, you can't love your neighbor and love God without grace and without salvation. It's impossible. The gospel is not love God and love your neighbor. The gospel is we're sinners and we need a Savior. And thus when you trust Christ, then you can love God and love your neighbor. Right? So, listen to the text. I'm preaching all the way through, right? Jesus answered, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, ganao, Anothan, he cannot see. Folks, understand, something has to come before the seeing. I'm not making this up. This is the Bible. This is the classic text on regeneration. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He's a little confused, isn't he? My goal is not to deal with every aspect of this today. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? There's certainly a physical aspect of what he's thinking about. Human, human, right? Listen to how Jesus turns the table. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Humans can only do human things. Flesh can only do fleshly things. Now, there is certainly a contrast between the fact that you didn't choose your mama when you, got, when you were born. Right? You didn't have anything to do with your physical birth. And i got news for you. You didn't have anything to contribute to your spiritual birth either. Alright, listen. Listen to the text. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's a supernatural work. Jesus said, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Check this out. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is, listen, with everyone that is born of the Spirit. So, just think about this. This text talks about the nature of regeneration. And there's an analogy of birth. There's something created that was not there before. Y'all agree with that? There's something that's been created, whether it's physical birth or spiritual birth. Something has been created that wasn't there before. And this is a spiritual experience that you are born again from above. This is a supernatural miracle of God. How? It is a divine work of cleansing and renovating of the heart. Now, some people have spent years and years talking about blood and water or and are, are water in the Spirit. And they think, well, it's got something to do with physical birth, water. Or it's got something to do with baptism, hogwash. I, I think you see, see these terms synonymously. Why? Because listen to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on You and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Who's doing the cleansing? And I will give you a new heart. Point, this is good. There it is regeneration. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. One that goes after God, one that is pliable. That listens to the Lord. That has a vibrant faith and a walk with God. If that's not enough, flip over to Titus. If you have a Bible and you're not looking, shame on you. Yeah, I said it. You need to see this. Titus, chapter 3. So here we have this nature of the new birth. God must initiate. Listen to Titus 3 5 and 6. The Bible says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. By the washing of, say the word, by the washing. Did that sound like Ezekiel? I will cleanse you. It's by the washing. It's renovation of the Spirit of God inside of you to make you alive by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Intellectual assent to Bible facts, church at First Baptist, is not enough. Salvation is the work of God. The nature of salvation is to be birthed into the family and kingdom of God based upon God's gospel, as Paul would call it. It's the work of God in the spirit of man to quicken your heart. Do you ever sit around thinking, why doesn't everybody want to know the Jesus I know? How could anybody not want to walk with Jesus? How could anybody listen to the gospel and walk out of a church and think, I don't need that? Oh, if you've walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you you just can't believe it. You know why? Because your eyes are not open to the gospel. God has to do it. I mean, that's why we preach. If I could save you, I'd save every one of you. I can't do it. The gospel is God's salvation. He owns the gospel, right? That's That's the nature. What about the origin? Well, the regeneration is of the Spirit of God alone. It says it here, doesn't it? The physical produces physical. It doesn't matter how many leaves you turn over on January 1, right? The flesh gives birth to flesh. Humans cannot change themselves or save themselves. The source and origin of our salvation is God alone. There's no one else involved. You can't contribute to your physical birth. And you cannot bring anything to the table for God to say, okay, based on that, I'm going to save you. You can't. It's categorically impossible. Listen to how John will describe this in John 1.13. Listen to the word of the Lord. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Did y'all read the same verse I read? Can you be saved by your own will? All right, be careful. But you said it right. You can't. It's not by flesh, it's not by the will of man, it's by the work of a sovereign God. God does the work. And when you get to 1 John, who wrote 1 John? Same guy that wrote John the Gospel, right? He says, This is proof that you've been born of God. He starts listening out what it looks like to be new. Right? To be regenerated. You love the brethren. You know that you've moved from death to life when you hate sin. Because John says if you continue to live in habitual sin without confession, then you don't know the Lord. So there's this connection, of course, with the nature and origin of our salvation. Note the necessity. We're going fast. What did Jesus say? The nature is a regenerated. By the work of God, a renovation, a washing, a a cleansing, a change. Something's made new. Ezekiel would say a heart of flesh is put in there that's pliable. And then there's this origin that that can't happen by human beings. God does it. But what about the necessity? Jesus said, I tell you, you must. Y'all know that's a command? You must. It's a necessity. Be born again in order... To see in order to enter. You must be born from above. You must have a renovation of your mind and heart and spirit. You must be, it's the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. You cannot see or turn to Jesus. You cannot come under his rule. That's what kingdom means. You cannot see the kingdom unless you're born again. Does that make sense when you look around at people who profess to be Christians that never actually live for God? They have made a profession without a possession. They may have walked an aisle. And again, you've heard me say this. You can be baptized so many times, the tadpoles know your social security number. But baptism will not save you. This, this text says nothing about the saving merit of baptism. It tells you that God alone saves. Correct? Necessity of Regeneration. Do y'all understand that sin has done more than just scarred us? Why, Why is there a necessity of regeneration? Ladies and gentlemen, sin has ravaged us. It affects every aspect of your life, even your will. Think about this. We don't choose what we should. And I want to remind you that Peter reminds us that we can't even repent apart from the Spirit and the Word working in our lives. We can't. You know... Can means the ability to do something, right? Now, let's say Nathan says to me, Dad, can I go out in the yard and play with chief? He's our lovable German shepherd, right? And I say to him, yes, you can. And let's say Nathan jumps up and runs out the door, and I say, whoa, wait a minute. The ability to do something is can. May you do something is the question, right? And I'll give you the permission to go do it. Now understand, that's that's a little verb lesson. There's a difference in can and may. This text says you cannot see. You do not have the ability to see the kingdom apart from being regenerated. Is that not what the text says? This means, yes, this means you cannot enter heaven. There's a difference in can and may. And this text reminds us of this clearly. That there is a necessity of a new birth. Let me show you. John chapter 6, verse 44. The Bible says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father, and other places the Spirit, draws him to me. And listen to Romans. Incredible text of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Seven and eight. Thank you for turning the pages of Scripture. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God. Now, do you really see yourselves, if you're lost today, as being hostile to God? But that's what the Bible says. If you're in the flesh, meaning lost, then you're hostile against God. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Do You remember that lesson on can and may? Listen to this. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand the necessity of the regeneration? Do you understand how important it is? You must be born again. When the gospel is preached... And I've told you this for three and a half years, right? When the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached and the Spirit of God owns that gospel word in your heart and mind and God does this work, then the heart and mind of man is regenerated. It is the Spirit and the Word of God that accomplishes salvation. It unstops deaf ears. Aren't you thankful? When you didn't have ears to hear. Jesus gave you the ability to hear. And He removes the scales from your eyes and heart. Open the eyes of my heart to give me understanding. The Spirit alone, with the Word of God, alone gives life. So the nature, the origin, the necessity, and here the effects of regeneration. And boy, this is really where it hits with what Daniel we see in Daniel with a, with a vibrant prayer life. When you see what, what the Bible says. Jesus said, you must be born again. If it's not that He's told Him enough once, He tells him again, right? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, we could honestly say that God may rest on someone's heart today and by the Spirit and the Gospel and the Word and bring you to Christ, and we don't necessarily see the Spirit working in them, Right? I mean, it, it, the invisible work of God. But we could also say it like this. Uh, you've seen, you, we know, Now we're going to get a bunch of rain today, but we've been in windstorms before, right? Well, I've stepped outside, even out here on Highway W, and I've looked out there when there's 25-mile-an-hour winds. I don't see it. But I wake up the next morning, and I see the effects. Shingles may be blown off. I've got some white stuff that goes in between boards just paper, that's in the top of a 30-foot tree. And my wife's like, we can't have that up there. I'm like, well, I'm not going up there and get it, right? I mean, you see it as you drive down the the road. I mean, that's the effects of the wind. Folks, if you are saved, there will be effects in your life. And some of you are missing this. You, You will have the fruit of regeneration in you. You will have the fruit of repentance. And yes, repentance is a new way of thinking that you didn't have before. And thank God for that, right? However, there's a whole lot more to do with repentance. Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians that there is a, there is a worldly repentance. You know what that means? I got caught. What, what would happen if my sin was exposed to this church? You may say that. That's, that's a worldly sorrow. That's not a, that's not a saving repentance. A saving repentance is more like David would say, against you and you alone have I sinned, O God. That's saving repentance. There's a massive difference. One is worldly sorrow that leads unto death. The other is godly sorrow that leads unto life. It's for you to see the magnitude of your sin. So, the effects of regeneration, vibrant faith, and close walk with God. It doesn't come reverse. You don't have a a vibrant prayer life and close walk with God, and then get saved. You understand, folks, this is the work of God in us. And Jesus would say, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. No exceptions. If the living God births you and gives you life, so is everyone who is born again. There's effects of redemption that are in your life. It begins with a new birth. Notice how Peter would say this. I'm shifting gears. I got three minutes, right? It's supposed to be a short sermon. I just got excited, I'm sorry, okay? First Peter, I'm trying to get there. Listen, listen to how he brings it together with the word, and I'm gonna finish. Listen. Chapter, 1 Peter 1, 23. Since you have been born again. Wow. There it is. Anothen, uh, above Gana'o again, or born, birthed. Listen. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. Mm. So what happens? What is the gospel? It's, it's actually given through the Word. Coupled with the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. Y'all see that? You're born again by those two brought together. Now listen to this text. And I'm going to be finished. Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 6. Paul had a... Let me read verse 10. For I am now seeking the approval of man or God. That's a rhetorical question. Uh, Paul would say when it comes to the gospel, the true gospel, should I seek the approval of man or God? Listen to this. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So, Paul's got this dilemma that there are some in the church of Galatia that are coming in false teachers and they're saying it's Jesus plus something else. It, it's, it, it, G, faith in Jesus is fine, but you've got to have sacraments. Or, or you've got to go back to the Judaizers. You've got to go back to adding things of the law. Such things as that. And Paul says, who am I trying to please? I would say that to you as a preacher. I have one responsibility to you and that's to preach the true gospel. The only gospel that is found in the Bible. Listen to verse 6. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Check this out. Not that there is another one. Right? But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. But even if we are an angel from heaven... Should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say to you, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What gospel did he preach? I'm glad you asked. Verse 15 of chapter 2, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's the gospel we preach. One more verse. Chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4 But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Listen to this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ, Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit Through faith. Folks, let's think about something. This says if any preacher or an angel, let's say that Gabriel that we've talked about in Daniel, were to manifest himself in physical appearance today right here. Man, we'd be captivated, would we not? I guarantee you he wouldn't have on sissy wings and chubby face. No, if he appeared and Gabriel says this, well, you know, faith in Jesus is good. But that's not enough. Some of us would probably run off with Gabriel. But this text says let Gabriel be accursed. Let him be anathematized. In other words, to hell with Gabriel. Let anyone who preaches any gospel other than the saving grace in Jesus Christ alone for salvation by grace through faith we have believed, let them be accursed. Simple gospel math. math. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Right? Folks, that's gospel math. And if anyone stands ever and and preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed in a quest to be freed from his sin. Martin Luther, the, the reformer, was actually given the task of teaching Romans chapter 1. Here he is a professor of Romans 1 but he wasn't saved. And as he's reading through Romans, he's captivated by Romans 1, 16, 17 that the just that God can be both just and the justifier of man. How can that take place? How is it that God can be both holy and at the same time justify man? And, and Luther finally it dawned on him. Righteousness is a gift from God. I can't earn it in Catholicism. I can't earn it as a monk. And and the Bible says that Luther says this: my heart was set free. Folks, that's what happens when you understand that the gift of salvation is just that. It's a gift from God, not of works. Lest any man should boast that later he said this, and I quote, I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to Him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with His gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. All folks, you do realize we wouldn't be here today had it not been for God working through Martin Luther. <laughs> Had he not understood that you're saved by grace through faith, that the righteousness of Jesus is a gift of God given to you, not something you can earn. In Charles Wesley's hymn, verse 4 says, And can it be, is the name of the song, Here's the, he describes a new birth. Listen. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for regeneration? This is, this is his testimony. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke. That's the only time, Lacey, that it's okay to be woke. Some of you read about the wokeness of preachers today. Their goal is to be so woke that they don't preach the Bible. Well, if you're woke with diffused light from Jesus, that's a good woke. All God's people said? Listen to this. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. That's what you're in if you're lost. You're in a dungeon. It's dark. That dungeon is flamed with light. And listen. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose and went and followed thee. Folks, that's John 3. (laughs) Is it not? When you are regenerated, you're going to get up and you're going to have a vibrant faith and a walk with God. You don't have to manufacture it. You can't fake it and come to church and make everybody think, oh, I'm saved. No. When, when you're really regenerated by Jesus and saved, it's going to make a world of difference in your life. Every aspect of life is changed. Since some of you are fearful that Luther's not necessarily a person That's Baptist. Can I give you Augustus, top lady, in Rock of Ages, cleft for me? Listen to this. Not the labors of my hands can fulfill the law's demands. These for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone in my hand. No price I bring simply to your cross I cling. Oh, rock of ages. cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. You know, my desire for this church is to have a healthy, regenerate church membership. What does that mean? The church ought to be made up of saved people. Does that make sense? I mean, you're not a church if you're not saved. Salvation issues you forth. The Bible says, and the Lord added to the church. We've done enough adding to the church by human means. And look what it's gotten you over the last 40 years. They come in, we play just as I am, they leave as they were, and there's no change. Real salvation brings about a vibrant faith and a walk with God. You can't encounter Jesus and not be changed. So let's let's be a regenerate church. People who who love God. Let's be gospel, humble servants. Because we look at Jesus and say, there's no way I could have ever saved myself. But thank God that you opened my heart. Gave me eyes to see. Regenerated my spirit. Oh, isn't that good? That's what salvation is. Maybe some of you today, you're sitting in your pew, and for the first time, God turned the light on. God turned the light on in your mind. He diffused the light in the dungeon, the dark dungeon of your soul. If so, you need to come to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the gospel. We're not going to preach another gospel. We're going to preach the only gospel that has the power to save. God, would you be... Uh, delighted in your will to save a sinner this morning. God, would you do it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.